I'm Andrea Renee, joined by Brittany Brombacher. Hello. Hi. Christine Steimer. Hi, hi, hi. And the ghost of Alexa Wright Korea. No, just Ooh. kidding. So she's um she's a little under the weather. It's PAX, and so we said, get well. We need you in fight and shape for this weekend, since we have such an amazing weekend planned at PAX West. So uh, apologies that she is not here. She will be joining us, though. For all of our festivities, speaking of which, let's just get right into housekeeping. Um, we have a bunch of panels happening. We have an event happening starting on a Friday in Seattle at PAX West. At 1 p.m., I am hosting the Life is Strange Before the Storm panel where we're going to be doing a live playthrough. The dev team is going to be there. They're going to be talking about story details. It's going to be great. Brittany is hosting a panel. Britt, you want to talk, tell the folks about it? Yeah, the panel is called You're Going to Make It After All, Getting Into Games. So I'm on the panel, obviously, as, lo- as well as many amazing, awesome people. And we're going to talk about breaking into the industry, but more importantly, how to keep your sanity while doing it. Ooh, please give Fantastic. me these tips. That is Friday at one thirty Alex- in the Sphinx Theater. Yeah. Friday, one thirty. Put it in your calendar. Uh, Alexa Wright is hosting on the Boss Fight Books panel, which is also on Friday at 2 p.m., so we all have overlapping panels, which is kind of a bummer. Um, but um, if you are around and you can come to one or partially all of them, that would be excellent. She's also going to be signing her Kingdom Hearts 2 book at PAX West if you haven't gotten a chance to pick that up yet. And then Steimer is going to be the hostess with the mostess at our launch party. That's right, the Life is Strange Before the Storm launch party we are partnering with square enix we are super grateful they are sponsoring this amazing event friday night steimer what time is the party six to nine yeah nice (laughs) and we all have themed drinks which we're super excited about because it's at this really cool bar called unicorn which is in the cap hill neighborhood of downtown seattle so please come join us and then of course all four of us will be in force at our what's good games live panel at 5 p.m. on Saturday, September 2nd. We've gotten many questions from you guys on social media about whether or not we're going to be recording this panel. Yes, you will be able to listen to it after the fact. We are still working on the video portion of it, but we will definitely be audio recording it for sure. So, that said, did I miss any PAX housekeeping, ladies? I don't think so. Oh, yes, I did. Oh, you did? Sorry. I totally did. We're doing a really cool presentation during our panel with Take This. Oh. And we are also going to be volunteering at the merch table in the AFK room that is sponsored by TakeThis.org on Sunday at 12... 30. No, 1.30. 1.30 p.m. is when we will be in the AFK room. So if you want to come by, learn about mental health, talk to the folks at TakeThis.org, buy some really awesome merch. They have some really cool pieces of merch, including little wooden shields um, that are all custom made that Dr. B was telling us about. So um, please come see us somewhere at PAX West. If you guys cannot make it to the show, don't worry. We'll be posting pics and videos, and we'll be recording stuff and documenting the whole weekend. And... Um, 
it's going to be great. Uh, if you can't make it, don't forget you can still be part of our community at facebook.com slash what's good games. We've been getting a lot of new people signing up there, which is really excellent. We have some exclusive video content there. And of course, our wonderful Patreon community at patreon.com slash what's good games. Okay. <laughs> Ladies. Yes. yes. Some news happened this week. It sure did. Woo! <laughs> are, are you excited about it? No, this so is excited. <laughs> this is what's going on. Is Jason is downstairs cooking and it smells like cat food. Ooh, and so wait, I'm what? like, what I don't know what it, I, I don't know, but it smells kind of like cat food, and I feel I feel a little sick, but I'm okay. I'm just gonna drink. <laughs> it's really freaking so, Okay, <laughs> some this is a, sl- a very quick tangent. Somebody brought back double salted black licorice from Europe. And I almost threw up. So that made me think of it. Oh, yeah. And I was like, it made me feel real queasy. black licorice is really kind of like an abomination piece of candy. (laughs) I agree with you. Oh, yeah. 100%. I think you have to be. Who are you people? My aunt. She loves black licorice. I don't know if she likes salted black licorice, but. Is she an abomination? I think it's the weirdest thing people like. Maybe the salt makes it better? Generally, putting salt on stuff is universally a good thing. It was an assault on my tongue. Uh, <laughs> I like see what you did there. Did you an assault? Did you do that on purpose? An assault on my tongue? Oh, I didn't. But forget it. Yes, All right. I totally Moving did. on. <laughs> All right, listen. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming up on the show today. We're about to jump into some news. After that, we have some hands-on impressions. We've got Mario plus Rabbit's Kingdom Battle. I played the Destiny Two PC beta. I also did you play more Uncharted? Bit. Uh, something else. You finished Uncharted? Yeah. Me and Britt did. Oh, yes. The Call of Duty World War II multiplayer beta I also jumped into for a little bit. So we'll talk about that. And then the thing you've all been waiting for. Segment three will be a Game of Thrones spoiler cast. You've been warned now, but don't worry. It's still two segments away. But once we get there, I'll say it again. But we will be talking about spoilers. Um, Okay. Now, first news story. Britt, you put this on the rundown. It is the Walking Dead AR game. What is this abomination? (laughs) Damn! (laughs) Judgment right from the get-go. But you're right. (laughs) Okay. Sorry, not sorry? No, no, it's okay. So, long story short, um, (laughs) Finland... Okay, so the next game is making this Walking Dead... AR game. Now, this is significant because this is, I think, the first real um, AR game based off of a huge property since Pokemon Go. So everyone's kind of watching it. Like, how is this going to like do? What are it's zombies? So I'm very excited about it. Naturally, um, did you want to read the news, or do you sure. want to just jump into discussion? Because I have things sure, to say. Sure. So according to Polygon. <clears throat> The Walking Dead R World is a new augmented reality game on the way from Finland's next games. It will allow players to use their phones to find and kill zombies over, hold on. Overlaid on top of the real world. Overlaid on top of the real world and it's compatible, thank you, with both iOS and Android devices. Now, there's not a release date, um, but it will be free to play. And next games says the app is coming soon. So the teaser trailer that we're about to discuss shows people 
wandering around with their mobile devices to collect weapons and kill zombies. At one point in the trailer, a player hides in a convenience store, startled by sounds and flickering shadows coming from the back room. Later on, a player turns on their phone's flashlight feature to find their way through the dark hallway. Items appear to be placed in the world rather than just floating in space. And at one point in the trailer, a player picks up a katana that's resting on a picnic table. You know what that means. Michelle yeah. Slicey slice. So, okay. This is... um. It does say that this is Next Game's first experience working with the AMC franchise, and they're also the developers of The Walking Dead No Man's Land, a turn-based strategy title for iOS and Android. And the company has claimed that that game has been downloaded more than 16 million times. Downloaded doesn't impress me. I mean, it's a nice number, but, like, how many people are actively playing (laughs) it? What's your daily active user number? Okay, if our podcasts have been downloaded 16 million times, would you have been impressed? If nobody (laughs) listened to it, then no. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Okay, so we've all... I made the ladies watch this. So there's the trailer itself, the reveal trailer. It looks... Okay. Um, like Andrea said, you know, it shows people kind of going about their daily lives and all of a sudden they whip up their phone and then, oh my God, zombies. And someone's like diving over the room to grab a gun and shoot things. And, uh. But if there's one, something we learned from the Pokemon Go trailer, it's the actual experience isn't going to be a quarter as cool. I would say half, but that's an overstatement as the actual trailer. And this trailer just didn't look all that impressive, but I was optimistic. And then I saw the gameplay trailer. And an article I read calls it another stand and tap fest. And it looks like something out of the House of the Living Dead. Is it House of the Dead? House of the Dead, the oh, arcade game. Yeah, like games. that arcade game, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like I said, it's just kind of interesting because it's like the first, it's the next AR game using a huge property. And it just looks like it's not good. Not good at all. And I, it's too bad. I, I feel a certain way. Yeah, this did not look good at all so i encourage you to form your own opinion of the footage by watching the trailer it is quite short clearly trying to capitalize yeah on pokemon go um and it just like if only i could catch a zombie in a ball i don't know (laughs) like i just the idea that you're like tapping the zombies on the head in order to like shoot crossbow bolts into them and having to use your flashlight feature like these games already are terrible at draining your battery enough as it is now you're gonna make me turn my flashlight on what (laughs) you will have no battery at all yeah no that's actually the first thing i thought i was like you know i feel like ar games are not going to do as well until they sort out the phone battery situation because Pokemon Go, one, I mean, there were a lot of reasons why I stopped playing it, but definitely one of them was my battery was dying insanely fast, and, like, I have to use it for other things, so I'm, I'm not about that life. But this, I agree with you, Andrea, I don't, and Britt, like, did nothing for me, and I also thought it was funny how they were like, Michonne needs our help. I'm like, she doesn't need your help. Michonne's, like, the one character in Walking Dead that can pretty much hold her own. She's doing just fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's just interesting to watch because I think with the success of Pokemon Go, obviously everyone wants a slice of that pie. Yeah. But this industry, as you all know, is a very harsh one. And when you put out something like this, like that trailer and that gameplay trailer, it's just not a good look. But, I mean, I like AR. I like, I like, I think it's a stepping stone to something much more immersive that's many years down the line. So I'm excited to try it out. I will play it uh, just to see what it's like. But 
Just something to keep our eyes on. Do we know how it's going to monetize? Because you said it's free to play. And I under, like, Pokemon Go, the monetization makes sense to you. You need to buy more Pokeballs. Sure, done. Like, that's a thing that would make sense. Or, like, items. But for The Walking Dead, you shouldn't be able to buy bullets or items because it kind of breaks the storyline, doesn't it? It does. I would imagine that they're going to give you some kind of a melee weapon to start out with that you don't need to buy. So that way you always have like a backup. But then if you want like a ranged weapon so you can take the zombies down from a distance, then maybe you're going to have to buy that. But and doesn't it clearly doesn't you're seem going weird? to have to unlock characters because they kind of hinted at that in the trailer. Like, oh, I've unlocked Michonne and I can take a photo with her and pose with her. <laughs> yeah, it's going to get like, dirty so real fast. are they going to like, it's going to be like pay to unlock other characters in the game? Right. We just but, don't know how the game plays or how it works. We don't know. Like, can you take health? Like, can you take health damage? You know, do you have to try to find collectibles? Like, do you buy special bullets? I mean, we don't know anything about this game, which is another baffling reason why they released this trailer when they did. We know nothing about it. So, uh... Yeah, we'll we'll have to see. My issues there are like there's not that many characters in The Walking Dead. There's a, there's some, but there's certainly not 250 poke. Like that's the original. Like your 150 was the original, and like now God knows how many there are. 800 or something. Like so. To me, I'm like I I'm just I really want to see how they're going to try and make money off of this because I don't see a lot of ways that it would make narrative sense sure. for you to want to spend money on. No, I agree. I'll just have to see. We'll see. All right. Well, we'll have to download it when it comes out. Um, Okay. Next story. Earlier this week, Nintendo had a nice little mini presentation all about the Nindies. That's the Indies on the Nintendo Switch. It sounds like a candy. Yeah, there were some pretty good announcements that actually came out of these. So we already knew about a couple of them. SteamWorld Dig 2 was revealed for Switch during a showcase stream earlier this spring. But there were plenty that we just found out about. First up, no more Heroes Travis Strikes Again. So this is Suda51 and Grasshopper Manufacturer, and it's a follow-up. Did either of you play the original uh, No More Heroes? No, no. Not really my jam. Yeah, it's, it's a very culty kind of game. Um, but this is kind of an interesting one because... You play in six different games, and it kind of, you're kind of not. It's not clear how that's going to work exactly, um, and what Travis is doing, and what other characters are going to be returning. Uh, the guy was playing Hotline Miami in the little piece of trailer that they showed today, which I thought was interesting uh, and um, oddly fitting. But uh, yeah, so that was a big one that's coming to Switch. This one, Super Meat Boy Forever, I thought looked really great. That's so this cute. Is, this is a follow up. And there is an additional character. And what's cool about it is that when you pass the level, it gets harder. So you can go back and keep playing the levels and they'll get harder and harder, which I think is a little interesting. And then they'll have like daily challenges and some other cool stuff. Did you guys play Super Meat Boy? No. A little bit of it. Yeah, a little bit. Exactly. Like, but that's not the type of game I typically go for because I get frustrated really quickly. You don't don't like being angry all the time. I'm not the whole. (laughs) But um, the one thing that concerned me about Super Meat Boy... Uh, is that, like I've said several times on this podcast, I use the Switch as a purely handheld device. And I have to imagine it's not going to be that much fun to do with the Joy-Cons because they aren't hyper-precise like um, the Pro Controller would be. Right. So it's a that's a little... Granted, I probably wouldn't pick this game out of this lineup anyway to play, but that's one thing to note if you are a Super Meat Boy fan. I think you're probably going to want to play this on your TV with the Pro Controller. 
Yeah, what? definitely. You can't use the uh, Pro Controller mobile? I don't know. I've never I think tried. You can. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to know if you knew no, for sure. No, okay. I just didn't want to carry it around. But Fair enough. Yeah. It's like one more thing to carry. It doesn't fit in your Sheikah Slate case. What it are you does not. Do about that? Exactly. <laughs> right? um, <laughs> uh, Shovel Knight, King of Cards, is coming in early 2018. So this is, I believe, the final expansion for Shovel Knight. Mm-hmm. And features King Knight. Looks great. Adds a bunch of new stuff. New weapons. New characters. New levels. Uh, it looks pretty cool. Uh, the one that I'm most excited about, though, is the little elephant guy. Yono. Yono. The celestial elephant. That, that looks, looks so, so cute. cute. I can't get over how adorable he is. I know. That's the first Ugh. thing. So I went through. I just randomly selected trailers at this in the middle, during the middle of the day at work. <laughs> and that was one that I definitely looked at because it was an adorable little elephant stomping around and like throwing dynamite, which was funny. Um, and then the other game that I thought was super weird looking, which one was it? I'm looking at the list. It was mom hid my game. Well, that, that too, but no, you can, (laughs) you can talk about that one. Um, the one where you're, it's a multiplayer shooter and you, as you shoot the other people, like your mask gets bigger or smaller. Morphe's law. Yes. Morphe's law. So I thought this was actually a really interesting concept. I think it looks ugly. (laughs) Like just, I'm not into the art style, but I was like, oh, it's actually kind of neat. So um, it's, I assume, is it 4v4? Or, yeah, yeah, 4v4. Uh, 4v4. And if I were to shoot Brit in the head, it would take mass away from her head and add it to my head. So I would become like a massive bobblehead character. <laughs> and so I think that's interesting because if you're doing well, your avatar becomes much larger and is an easier target. And if you're sort of losing your avatar is smaller and you're harder to hit. So I'm like, oh, that's actually kind of a neat Mm -hmm. uh, mechanic. The trailer was like, if you're not being as successful, aka if you suck, and they needed to point out, you could take away mass from any part of the body. They're like, your butt. And I was like, you put butts in this trailer? It's Nintendo, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, mean, they put Hotline Miami very briefly in the trailer, so. True. Yeah, I mean, I, if it were me, I don't think I would be developing an arena shooter. I think there's enough going on. But, you know, it's an interesting concept. And, you know, you got to support the indies. So I hope it does well. It's, it looks cool. Did you guys look at Sausage Sports Club? Did not. It's Which one was that? It's basically Gang Beasts, but with, like, dogs. Like, really cute. Like, there's one that looks like a corgi. But they're sort of the same shape as, like, those punching balloon things. Like, they're just a cil- cylindrical. Is that the word? <laughs> is that the one of the floppy necks? They're very floppy. They're, like, okay. super floppy, like, noodle characters, and you're trying to knock each other out. So, yeah, so it's gang beasts, but with slightly different characters, basically. Okay. At least that's what it looked um, like. Let me run down the list really quick here. In addition to the ones we've already mentioned, there's also, as Britt said, Mom Hid My Game, which is also <laughs> on 3DS. <laughs> Gulf Story, Floor Kids, Wolverblade, Poly Bridge, Kentucky Route Zero TV Edition, Earth Atlantis, Next Up Heroes, Malacca, uh, Dragon Marked for Death, Battle Chef Brigade, which I'm going to be playing at PAX, Morphe's Law, Sausage Sports Club, Light Fingers, Nine Parchments, and No More Heroes, as I already mentioned. Um, yeah, this is great. We're going to be playing some of these games at PAX West, mm-hmm. and we will give you guys those impressions next week. Yeah, and good on Nintendo. They, I mean, only a few of those are exclusives, but they did have a lot of coming to Nintendo Switch first. Ha <laughs> ha! So, you know, 
Good for them. You go, Nintendo. Go on with your bad self. You go, Glenn Coco. (laughs) I'm rooting for him. Okay, next story. South Park, the fractured but whole, got an ESRB rating, and the description for it is bonkers.net. Have either of you read this yet? I did. Only just like a few minutes ago. I feel like I need to do a dramatic reading. But Okay, yes, okay, go for it. Do it. I love this idea. So, the basic description is blood and gore, mature humor, nudity, sexual content, strong language, use of drugs, and violence, thus earning it an M for mature rating. No surprise there. (laughs) Nope. The real kicker is the rating summary as to why it was deemed to have all of these things and thus get its rating. Here we go. This is a role-playing game based on the animated South Park TV show in which players assume the role of a new kid in town embarking on an adventure to uncover an evil criminal element. Players engage in turn-based combat by moving around a grid and selecting attacks from a menu. Players use various weapons, e.g. blades, claws, blasts of energy, light, ice, lightning, and melee attacks during combat. Blood splatter effects occur often, and cutscenes occasionally depict cartoony dismemberment or decapitation. The game includes several stances of immature humor, racial humor, and sexual material. Characters are depicted urinating and defecating. (laughs) One extended sequence in a strip club depicts a character performing a lap dance while emitting flatulence. (laughs) One man in an alley... (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> One scene depicts a towel character <laughs> performing an obscured sex act on a man in an alley. Another scene shows a man watching security monitors and repeatedly reaching for lubrication behind his desk. Oh, I love it. All sequences are depicted in a cartoony and over-the-top manner. Characters are sometimes depicted nude, e.g. breasts buttocks, and male genitalia. During the course of the game, players can observe characters snorting lines of cocaine, and in one level, players must complete a quest to bring a marijuana prescription to a character. The words... I can't read all of these. (laughs) The F word, the C word, the S word. Yeah. The words F word, C word, and shit, and racial epithets, which I'm definitely not going to read, are heard in the dialogue. (laughs) <laughs> I want to work for the ESRB and write this stuff because my favorite thing is like um, the lap dance. This character is performing a lap dance a while emitting flatulence. Character. <laughs> yeah, the t- a towel character, exactly. Oh, and the strip club scene. Yeah. I think we've all done the strip club scene, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was incredible. That was so good. You're like giving this guy a lap dance and you're like trying to like fart and you're doing like the old like, school like rotation on the joints. Yeah. Grinding oh, on so his good. junk. Yeah. You're so like, good. Uh, go. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I honestly think this sounds fairly tame compared to the stick of truth. But yeah, that's what I'm, I was going to say. Um, okay. I would highly encourage, I have the, the link for the ESRB in the show rundown as well, but um, Read the stick of truth ESRB rating as well. I think it's a little funnier, actually. It's Brit, go for it. Why don't Brit? Why don't you do the dramatic you, reading? Yeah, do you have it up? I do have it up. <laughs> yeah, you do. All right. <laughs> Are you ready for this? Yeah, girl, lay it on me. 
This is a role-playing adventure game based on the animated South Park TV show. Players assume the role of a new kid in town who embarks on various quests with other boys in the neighborhood. Players can engage in turn-based combat, selecting attacks from a menu screen. Players use various weapons, swords, baseball bats, hammers, magic spells, and melee attacks during fights. Blood splatter effects sometimes occur. Cutscenes occasionally depict cartoony characters dismembered or decapitated. The game includes several instances of mature humor and sexual material. One extended sequence depicts characters getting anally probed by alien creatures. Another sequence in an abortion clinic depicts doctors using a vacuum to perform procedures on male characters. One level takes place inside the rectum slash colon of a character. Sex toys, random objects, and fecal matter appear in the level. All sequences are depicted in a cartooning, over-the-top manner. Characters are occasionally depicted nude. One extended sequence depicts an out-of-focus couple having sex in the background as players engage in turn-based battle in the foreground. Sexual moaning sounds slash dialogue is heard. During the course of the game, drug paraphernalia can be seen strewn about, strewn around a lab. And then it just keeps going. But yeah. At first half a second there, I thought it wasn't going to mention the sex scene and I was about to be like, What? <laughs> so good i love these games so much i cannot wait for this game holy crap it's Ugh. gonna be a doozy of a game it's gonna be bonkers.net so, um, what's interesting is um i'm kind of funny games daily somebody asked if it was going to be censored because the first one was censored in australia and the Australian version of the ESRB confirmed that no, yes. there will not be any censoring in this wow. game. Wow. So, go Australian government. I'm wondering, Australian listeners and viewers of What's Good Games, Oy. you're going to get all of South Park, the fractured butthole in its glory. So, yes. I just wanted to read that because I thought it was funny. That is really funny. Um. <laughs> I'm glad the ESRB exists. Would you consider things in this description to be spoilers? Uh, only not for us because we played that demo. So, like, I already knew about the strip club. Um, I mean, it is always a little bit spoilery, but not to the extent that it would ruin the game in any way. No, I mean, like, the towel character performing an obscured sex act. Like, sure, now we know about it, but I think I'm kind of looking forward to it more because I think now it's I just in my head. I have it envisioned what it's going to be. It's going to be hilarious yep lubrication behind his desk yeah i mean kind of but not really because i think the presentation of it is going to be a million times better when it's in context than just reading it yep from text i agree yeah (laughs) all right moving on the original Xbox One model is now discontinued. Oh, wow. Surprising no Blixel, one. <laughs> they write, Microsoft is no longer making the original Xbox One. The company confirmed to Glixel this week. They said, as is typical for the console industry, we stopped manufacturing the original Xbox One when we introduced the Xbox One S. The original Xbox One launched in November 2013, and the Xbox One S went up for sale last summer in August 2016. But it wasn't until this month that the last of the original Xbox One started running out in stores. You can no longer find the model in Microsoft's official store as of last week. The Xbox One X, which of course is the newer version of the console featuring more powerful components, is arriving in November. Pre-orders are currently open. But since the release of PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, Microsoft has been significantly behind Sony in terms of console sales. The PS4 Pro 
a more powerful version of the PS4. It was released last November, though PlayStation positioned it as a step-up purchase for fans of the system and not a replacement console. What's interesting about this, there's two things. First part, this isn't surprising that they're phasing out that giant, ugly box. Right. Like, good. That's pretty normal. Um, The second thing is, there was also another news story this week saying, now, take this with a grain of salt, because we don't know the exact details of this data, but... That Xbox One X pre-orders have outpaced PS4 Pro sales for 2017. So that's fascinating to me because it doesn't have any software. And that's yeah. not, I mean, I, I love Xbox. It's not like me trying to be a jerk about it, but it's kind of true, yeah, especially because so they n- push the numbers down. come from Amazon and it's list the Xbox One X ahead of the PS4 Pro. The mm. thing to note is that these numbers are just for 2017. So it doesn't include the launch window for PS4 Pro. So yeah, it's important it's not- to remember. We don't know how many units they sold at holiday last year specifically and how PS4 Pro numbers overall stack up to what Xbox One X has done in pre-orders. But, yeah, you know, you know, it's funny about you saying that you're surprised because it has no software. I mean, we've obviously talked about this on the show before. I put this out to Twitter and asked a bunch of people, like, what are you excited about for your Xbox One X? Like, what do you think is the feature that's going to make you spend $500 to get this device when the Xbox One S can do so much of what the X does for half the price? And... It was. I was shocked by the amount of people that came back and were like, I can't wait to get my X. I love that they're putting out all of these 4K updates for games that I already have. It's got a 4K Blu-ray player. It's got this and this and this. And I was like, yeah, but but is that hmm. worth $500? I'm still trying to figure out what the thing is. Ladies, have you have you pondered this, this question at all? Yeah. And like I said, I think it was the last week. Uh, last week's podcast, I'm usually that one person who's like, I'm getting the new console, I'm getting all of the new things. Um, This is the first time that maybe I'm getting practical in my old age. I don't know. But this is the first time I'm kind of like, I I don't need it. I'm very content with my Xbox One as it is. I don't think I need to pay $500 for better graphics at this point, because to me, that's what it boils down to. I don't have a 4K TV, so I'm just kind of like, eh. So, I mean, maybe all the guts for tech geeks out there are worth it, but not to me. It's, I've, I've pondered the same thing. Yeah, um, I agree with you, Britt, because I'm somebody... Number one, I have a 4K TV, so like this should appeal to me because I have the older gen, or like the first gen of these consoles. But I didn't get a PS4 Pro, and I don't see myself getting an Xbox One X because... Even though I know it will look prettier, that's not enough for me at this point because I think things look pretty good already. Yeah, I agree. And this is kind of relevant to this. I was curious. So I'm like, okay, what did the original Xbox One launch unit look like? And so it was a 500 gig hard drive. It had the one controller, the Kinect sensor, and it was $500. Nowadays, I don't even think they have a $500 bundle, $500 unit besides uh, the Xbox One X. But for $400, you get like... You can get a two terabyte console. So now I understand why people wait. And I don't know why this didn't really... I get it, but I think actually like writing this down and looking at it, I'm like, oh, holy crap. I understand. Granted, I will never wait for a new console, but I get it. Yeah, the industry, because we're in the industry, it's impossible for us to wait. But if you're the average consumer, by all means, you should, because hardware gets cheaper over time. Hot diggity damn. That's insane. Real cheaper. 
Well, I have to imagine that they're going to do some kind of bundle or promotion or something around Black Friday. I don't think they're going to discount the hardware, but I think they might throw in extra stuff. Like maybe you can get an extra game or maybe you can get a discount if you trade in. For example, GameStop normally does like trade in specials around Black Friday. Like bring in your Xbox One and you can trade up to an Xbox One X and you get like a trade credit or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. The trade in thing. Xbox One S is pretty great. I would consider... (laughs) the trade-in thing but if i'm being honest with you you guys both know how lazy i am <laughs> i doubt i will go into a game stop <laughs> <laughs> we could go together it'll be fun okay um <laughs> all right um there was like some other news happening this week but i mean uh, nothing like super exciting so we're what we're gonna do is we're just gonna wrap this segment and we are going to get right into hands-on so stay tuned everybody we will be right back with very interesting thought-provoking discussion (laughs) for your ear holes right here chloe has a nice ass we'll be right back this episode of the what's good games podcast is brought to you by macweldon.com do you need something better than whatever you're wearing right now? And when I say whatever you're wearing, I'm talking about your underpants. That's right. We all know that we have those pairs that have just been worn probably one or more too many times. Do you need to upgrade? Guess what? Mac Weldon is here to help you. At MacWeldon.com, they believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and a simple shopping experience. And guess what? They don't just have underwear. They've got shirts and they've got hoodies, sweatpants, socks, and even swim trunks. They also have a fantastic line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial. So you know what that means? They eliminate odor because the last thing anybody wants is stinky pits or a stinky butt. You know you don't. So if you are looking to upgrade your men's essentials or ladies... You might like it too. Stimer swears by their boxer briefs to sleep in, and I really like their soft t-shirts. You can head on over to MacWeldon.com, go to your shopping cart, make sure to enter in that special promo code WGG for 20% off your entire order. And guess what? If you order a pair of underwear and they are not the most comfortable pair you've ever worn, you could still keep it and they're going to refund you anyway. No questions asked. Check out all of the products they have available at MacWeldon.com. And don't forget that special promo code WGG at checkout for 20% off your order. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks so much for sticking with us here on the What's Good Games podcast. We are going to now talk about some video games. Brittany, Hello. you wrote down in the show notes that you have completed Uncharted The Lost Legacy. I have. And I know Simon. Without spoiling anything... Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, what are your thoughts? Did you enjoy your experience? Were you happy with the outcome, the length of the game, the, you know, what happened with the characters? Yeah. So last week, you and Steimer had a very interesting conversation about the characters. Um, my understanding, Andrea, is that you felt like the characters weren't written very well. Their chemistry wasn't that great. And Steimer was more like, I love this so much. It's wonderful. So I was really interested to go in. And see what my thoughts were. And I, I'm i leaning toward agreeing with Steimer on this one. Um, and let me know. Have you finished the game, Andrea, first, first of all? I watched John finish it. Okay. I personally have not gotten to the final 
chapter yet. Okay. So is okay, spoiler free. Um I thought the relationship and the chemistry between Nadine and Chloe was very interesting and it was kind of a breath of fresh air. Although I love the chemistry that you typically see between Nate and Sully, you kind of know what to expect. It's very like haha, jokey jokey, very witty one-liners, haha, and it's fantastic and feel goody. But I feel like with uh, Nadine and Chloe, you had two very strong women who had both seen some shit and been through some shit and therefore they were very apprehensive to get to know people and let people inside their circle. And I think that was the chemistry or lack thereof that we were sensing. Um, I thought it was a very fresh take and I enjoyed I enjoyed the story as it progressed as you got to see different layers of these characters and you got to see parts of them that you that were only revealed due to intimate conversations between the two of them. Um, I, I played it in one day. I started at like maybe 9 a.m. finished around like 10. It was kind of like pick it up and play as you could go as I could as I could. And that's how I typically play all of my Uncharted games. Uh, I didn't want to put it down. I was very engaged. It did feel just like Uncharted, but I didn't find that to be a bad thing. Um, very, I enjoyed it a lot. Very good. Yeah. Um, you were saying how you didn't put it down. Like I stayed up till 2am finishing this and I don't do that for a lot of games at this point in my life. Usually I can like put them down and walk away. Um, Horizon did this to me, obviously like Horizon really gripped me. Uh, and I kind of had a similar feeling with this one. Once I, once I made it over the hill of the open world map area, which it starts out with is sort of slower in terms of their character development and their yeah. relationship development. Once you get past that part, it becomes more regular and charted, I would say. And you really start to get a flow with these characters and you really get to know them more. And that's when it, it really hooked me. Um, and the thing that I want to just say that I think I'm most impressed with is that they basically gave us something that's pretty close to the length of Uncharted 1 in a year. Mm. Like, this was not in development for very long. Um, so I just think that that's super cool. Because there was... I noticed some people on Twitter who were a little bit critical of it. And they were like, I just thought it was going to be more. And I'm like, how... What, did we play the same? I don't understand that. Because I'm like, I don't know if we played the same thing. Mm -hmm. Because from what my standpoint, I got essentially an Uncharted 1. But as DLC... A year after I got an Uncharted Four, but I with the polish cool. of Uncharted Four, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you. Um, Andrea, has your thoughts have they changed at all? Well, I obviously haven't played through like the final chapters of the game yet, um, but I also haven't been drawn to play through it either. Where did you mm -hmm. stop? Like, was it were you still in the open spot or were you past? I don't that? remember. Okay. I've been playing too much Zelda. Were you yeah. driving or not driving? <laughs> not driving. Okay. So you're past that part then. Yeah. So here's the thing. I'm not saying this game is a bad game. No. I'm just saying it doesn't have the charm of Uncharted 1 through 4. Um, and that I think that Naughty Dog and PlayStation maybe mis-messaged just a little bit about trying to be like, this is a full standalone Uncharted game. I think that that's a false representation. I don't think this is a full standalone Uncharted game. Does it feel like one? It feels like a little add-on. It feels like a nice, hearty expansion. It feels so much like Uncharted 4. The way the characters move, the way that they climb, the scenes. They very clearly built this game with the skeleton of Uncharted 4 underneath of it. 
which is not a bad thing. They wouldn't have been able to make this in a year without doing totally. that. Totally. Yeah. I'm so, not saying that that's bad. I'm, I'm not, not saying that you're saying that's bad. <laughs> I'm just saying that this is the that it's frustrating that the expectations were mismanaged. And I'm not like upset with what I got, but I don't necessarily think that you know going out of your way like they did to call it a standalone game is what they should have done. And that was that's my opinion on it. And that said, that being said, I don't think Nadine and Chloe were the best choices to be like buddy cops because Chloe is such a great character and Nadine is an interesting character, but together they make a really weird kind of mishmash of personalities. And trying to take somebody who was the villain in almost all of Uncharted 4 um, and then turn her into a good, a good guy, it, it was a little bit of a, of a leap for me in, from a story perspective. That, that was my point. Again, this is a perfectly fine game. There's nothing wrong with this game. It's not broken. It looks beautiful. The graphics are great. If you love Uncharted, you will not be disappointed with The Lost Legacy. I just was, I think, hoping for something a little bit more. My question to you, Andrea, is did you stop playing and then watch John finish it so you kind of missed a middle part there? No, I watched John finish it first, and then I started playing. So you watched him from start to finish? Yes. Oh, okay. Because, like, for me, I loved their progression i loved their the way their relationship started off as like brit mentioned a little bit standoffish a little bit like i don't really trust you but i'm doing this for the cash um and then they sort of start to learn more about each other and they go through some things and like uh as being as big as possible right um trying to not spoil anything but i really i loved it and i thought that they had a really nice um I've said progression like 10 times, so I'm trying not to use that word again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like the uh, the chemistry between the two of them is very believable and it's very real. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the most entertaining to watch. Sure. Yeah. Um, and something I would have liked to have seen in this if it was... So here's the thing. is Besides the teaser at PlayStation Experience when it was first revealed, I kind of stayed far, far away from this. So um, it's interesting for me to hear you say, Andrea, that it was marketed as like a standalone game. Uh, and if that was if that was my expectation going into it, I may think differently than I do now. For example, I really appreciated how in Uncharted Four there were some towns and there were some downtime um, at Nate's house. Um, sometimes you got to like look around, and sometimes where you weren't being constantly attacked by enemies. And I felt like in the Lost Legacy there really wasn't a lot of that, and I feel like that would have helped. Uh, that would have been really crucial for story progression or character development as well. Maybe made it a little more believable, a little more entertaining. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like you said, not a, it's all these things aren't necessarily bad things. Just have proper expectations. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you say that, Britt, about not having downtime. Because to me, I think Uncharted f- Uncharted Four, the main game's biggest issue was lack of editing. So to me, Uncharted Four was too long. Like they could have definitely cut some bits out. They did a little bit too much of the. It's right around the corner, Benji, and it's like no, it's not. Um, it never would be because I'm only like hour four of this game. And uh, I didn't feel that way with this one because it was much shorter. But you may have maybe you know, maybe it's Goldilocks. Like Uncharted Four was too long, and this one was a little yeah. bit too short. So like maybe somewhere in the middle would have been a good sweet spot. Sweet spot, definitely. Um, if I finish it sometime in the near future, we can maybe revisit it. Um, and let's do a spoiler cast. 
Yeah, we could do that. Um, I don't know when I'm going to finish it because we have packs and yeah. other stuff. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. then Destiny is coming. Speaking of Destiny, Destiny 2 had their PC beta. And boy, oh boy, is it a gorgeous looking game on <laughs> PC. So I have spoken about Destiny 2 and about how I'm planning to play on PS4. Still my plan. But now after playing with a DualShock 4 on my PC in Destiny 2. I think I might have to play it there too. <laughs> you didn't Is use it? your mouse and keyboard? So listen, I'm never going to play Crucible on PC with my controller. It's just I will get wrecked. Yeah. But playing PvE stuff is no problem. Mm, like the true. enemies aren't harder to shoot <laughs> with a controller <laughs> versus uh, a mouse and keyboard. You don't need precision to shoot the the fall uh what are they the cabal they are the red legion that's the name of the new which faction. are basically cabal like, and red suits they're a cabal actually um yeah so <laughs> i i'm not worried about that because the most of destiny for me is the pve content it's going on the strikes it's doing the raids it's doing all of the open world patrol stuff goofing around in the social spaces dancing you know that to me is like that's the destiny experience and i feel like i can absolutely do all of that with a controller on pc now like i said crucible no i'm gonna stick to crucible on ps4 where (laughs) everyone's playing with a controller um but it's it begs the question of what is Bungie going to do about a lack of a cross-save option? So mm. a lot of outlets have come forward with their impressions on the PC beta um, over the last several days since it's been live. And it almost universally has been praised by pretty much everyone. It's snappy. It's responsive. The graphics are crisp. The guns feel weighty. It really feels great on PC. And... What's really tough about this is you can't convince people who have a PS4 to buy a PC to play this game. PCs are just too expensive, mm-hmm. um, especially since you want to get a really powerful machine with an amazing graphics card because it looks so gorgeous running at um, like 100 frames per second. Technically, it's unlocked frame rate, but generally, that's kind Damn. of what you're getting close to. That's a lot of frames. On, co- on console, it's like a solid locked 30 frames per second. Also looks amazing. But not not as amazing. <laughs> um, so I really enjoyed my time playing through the story missions, um, checking out the farm, which is the social space um, in Destiny Two, and you know, kind of looking at the cutscenes. And I did, you know, attempt one Crucible match, and I mean, I'm just not that great at Crucible. I have to really sit down and commit several hours to a Crucible session to get good. But also, like. Like I mentioned, the mouse and keyboard versus controller is, there's just no comparison there. So, um, you know, I'm torn (laughs) about this. I really wish that Destiny would offer, that Bungie would offer a way to have a cross save. It's just so frustrating to think how many hours I had to put in the grind of the original Destiny and all of the expansions to think about having to do that on on two platforms is is like daunting. It's a daunting task, and I don't know if I want to do it. Why? But, but it my question so is, why would PC? you play on PC if nobody's playing there with you? Like, are you going to play oh. by yourself? Oh, I have no doubt that we'll have plenty of what's good games people <laughs> who are going to form a Destiny <laughs> Two PC clan. So, sure. so you is know this, you're out there. Is this all about how pretty it looks? Is that what this is? 
Well, I mean, a lot of it about uh, about the way it looks, but it also is just like it's the response is faster, it's snappier, mm. it's like the guns feel a little bit like clickier. I mean, like one of the highlights, one of the standout features of Destiny is you get Bungie's incredible shooting mechanics. I mean, people who know first-person shooters inside and out, they're just buttery smooth. And imagine it more buttery (laughs) than it was, like extra butter on PC. Double butter me. Yeah, and I've I've never had the draw to play an FPS on PC before. But man... I'm super tested, and I don't know what to do about it. So are you on the fence? You don't know you're going to do PC or PS4, or for sure you're doing PS4. You're just well, tempted. Well, for sure I'm doing PS4. No questions. I'm I'm getting it on PS4. Um, but I don't know if I'm going to buy <laughs> the PC version as well. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody on Twitter, I don't know, maybe it was Ben Cochera, said, you know, if Bungie wanted to truly be evil, they would charge you to import your save onto PC, you know, from either Xbox One or from ps4 and i'm like that'd be the worst move of all time well i wouldn't mind it if i didn't have to buy the game again Mm. if Mm. if i was paying for the ability to import my save i would pay 60 bucks to import my save and then that would cover like the cost of the game he said a hundred dollars and i was like that's ridiculous much money yeah um unless you're like including the expansion pass or whatever but (laughs) <laughs> the cross save thing know. is frustrating because that's one of the beauties of Destiny is that they save all of your information in the cloud. So I have Destiny installed on four different PlayStation 4s. Because <laughs> um, we've got the PS4 Slim, we've got the PS4 Pro, and then we've got two of the Desti- the white custom Destiny special Ooh, editions. those are pretty. They're gorgeous. I love it. And so, like, before we got the Slim, which is the one we travel with now, uh, I used to travel with the White Destiny uh, console. And obviously, the the Pro is relatively recent, and that just stays at home. It's too bulky to take on the road. So what's great about that, it it means I don't have to be constantly moving my saves around up into the cloud and then bringing it back down to the console because Bungie saves all of your information in the cloud so that way you, the companion app is so fantastic because you can pull up all of your information on the go on your phone and you know move inventory around your characters and stuff i feel like the technology exists for them to allow you to bring your save to a different platform i just don't know why they're not doing it especially because they have their own platform system like you're talking about like bungie.net you have to log into bungie.net even if you have a playstation account like to tie them together so and on PC, you're going to use your Bungie account. So I'm like, wh- wh- why? Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm sure there's a reason, but I don't yeah. understand what it would be uh, because it's their own system. So hmm. it theoretically yeah. should work. I mean, I'm not sure if they're not doing it because they're concerned about hacking or whatever. Or I don't even. I don't. I don't. I don't understand. Because it uh, seems there has like- to be some kind of business reason behind it. I don't business, know business, what business. that business reason would be, but because I feel like they yeah. could sell more copies of the game if they let people cross save, right? Yeah. Or, I mean, if they wanted to be really nice, but they won't because they're... You mean cross buy? <laughs> no. Yeah. Like make it cross buy too because you would technically know that they owned it if they have... they've bungee, Again, Bungie account. Clearly they own this game, so you can download yeah. it now um, if- over here. 
If this was an Xbox One exclusive, that would make sense because, you know, Xbox One's big thing is the play anywhere so you can play it on your Windows 10 PC or play it on your Xbox One. Right. Um, but this is a PlayStation partner title and has been since launch. So, But you could still do it because of the Bungie account is my point. Like, Right. You could, but that's why I have to believe somewhere along the line, somebody on one side, whether it's the Activision side, the Blizzard side, the PlayStation side, or the Bungie side, somebody in along the way was like, no, we can't do it. Oh, wait, no, they're using Blizzard. Or, yeah, they're uh, using the Battle.net They're using Battle.net. Oh, I forgot. Okay, never mind. Yeah. I thought they were using Bungie. Because so it's not available on Steam. It's it's through Blizzard's launcher. So Got it. That, hmm. Okay. Maybe, honestly, that might be why. <laughs> yeah. Probably has something to do with that. But Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to say, if you were on the fence about picking up, if you never played Destiny, and you're interested in Destiny 2, and you are a PC gamer, then I highly encourage you to check it out, because it is so much fun. And it looks great, and it plays great, and it feels great. And God damn it, if you let me down on the story, Bungie, I'm still probably going to love you, but I'm going to shake my fist at the sky. <laughs> <laughs> but we added more explosions. Oh, gosh, yeah. Okay, uh, enough about Destiny 2. Uh, it comes out next week. I'm going to stream it ah! when we're back. So next week, uh, so uh, you guys probably noticed that we didn't have a stream yesterday if you're listening to this on Friday. Sorry about that. We were in Seattle preparing for PAX. Um, but we will be streaming uh, next week. It will happen. Destiny yeah. stream will be going down. I can play with you. Yay! We'll fire team up. It'll yeah. be excellent. <laughs> um, Britt, you were playing Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Yeah. So I were was. you, Andrea. I was, yes. So were you, Steimer. Yeah. <laughs> we, we all, all were playing it. Yeah. I, I think about 25% of the way through. That is Are a you rough done with the first world then? I don't know. I must be. So well, here you would know. I would know. If I would know, then no, I'm not. I just looked at the little, like, you know, when you're loading your game and it has, like, the percentages yeah. on the bottom. Did you fight a boss? Yes. Okay, then, yeah. You're past World 1, at least. Okay. I haven't gone past that point. I stopped at the boss. Okay. So, it's a fine game. I can't say that I'm drawn to it like I thought I would be, and I'm not... I don't know what I was quite expecting. I watched Andrea play a bit. Was that at E3? It that was. was. Holy crap, time is flying. Um, and it's fine, and it plays well, and I have no real complaints about it. It's just not my kind of game that I'm, like, super-duper drawn to that I'm thinking about 24-7. Um, I will pick it up, and I do have intentions to finish it, but it's just not something I'm, like, dreaming about. But this is, fine. like, my perfect travel game because... It's not something like you just said, Britt, because I, I mean, I agree. I'm not like champing at the bit to go play it right now, but I am enjoying the game as I'm playing it. Did you it. say champing? Yeah, I think she did. That's the actual term. Is it? It's chomping. Yeah. No, it's champing. It's chomping. It's champing. Hold on. Britt, what do you say? I say chomping. Google it. Only, I only know this because Dana Jongleward of IGN taught me this and she made me Google it. And sure enough, it's champing. God damn it. Now I have to Google it. <laughs> I know, I'm Googling it too. Champing at the bit. Um, it's a horse term. Fucking A. Oh, well. <laughs> Did you see it? Yes. Wait, I, the first <laughs> post says champing at the bit versus chomping at the bit. I yes. got to read. Yeah, keep hold going. on. Okay. Yeah, keep talking. Um, so I think it's adorable. It's quirky. I'm getting to some of the deeper gameplay mechanic systems like the skill tree just opened up for all of the characters. Um, I like that they're sort of hiding things around the world that you won't get to 
go to until later because um, you need to uh, like unlock abilities to make the little robot guy go there. Um, and I think the character design is great. Like I, I don't think that the boss rabbit is a spoiler. The one that we both beat, Brett. Because I thought the, they've the seen monkey? him in promo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he's he been was, in promos. He, he's been um, in promos. Yeah. So, the, yeah, the Donkey Kong rabbit is amazing. Um, and I, this is, yeah, just something that I'm really excited to pick up and play when I'm on the go mm-hmm. and have a really fun session with. It's basically easier XCOM. Like, infinitely yeah. easier XCOM. And that's what I've heard, and it's so incredibly charming. It definitely has that Nintendo charm. And This is my first, like, rabbit experience, and it, they're so fun. I feel like I am a rabbit. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I feel like I, yeah, I, I love the rabbits. They're yeah. great. If I still had my Wii, I'd break out Raving Rabbits TV party. Maybe if the Switch eventually does virtual console, <laughs> please, please. <laughs> um, we, could, we could play it again. But I could also find it. There's many other rabbits games we could play. They're great. I love them. So I stopped playing this game when I got to the first mid boss, okay, which was the chomper, the plant chomp, um, yes, rabbit. Because the difficulty ramp, and now I expected the first world to be easy, but I didn't expect the first world to dump me at a mid-boss and for the difficulty to just fucking ramp the fuck up. Wait, what? Really? Yeah. I died three times trying to figure out how to play, how to beat this mid-boss, and then I put it down and went back to Zelda. (laughs) Really? Okay, I feel like maybe I should coach you because I found this game entirely, like I beat the first boss and I'm like, this is easy. Well, fine, Steimer. Maybe you will need to coach me. I will coach you at PAX. I'm bringing my Switch. Um, (laughs) The thing about it is, I agree that this is... It seems ripe for on-the-go for the Switch, right? So... I have um, I have docked my Switch for the first time since owning it to play Zelda on the big screen. And I was incredibly glad I did when I went after another Divine Beast. I was like, ooh, it's so big. <laughs> uh, um, the, the, what I love about Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle is it just feels really polished. Uh, the graphics are beautiful. The sound effects are quirky. It does a really nice job of blending these two universes together um, without feeling like it's an unfortunate mishmash. Like, it feels like they're meant to be in this world together. Mm-hmm. And I really think that, you know, Ubisoft took a lot of care to make sure that they treated the Mushroom Kingdom and all of its inhabitants with the, you know, respect that a franchise like Super Mario Brothers deserves. Yes, they did an excellent job. <laughs> Good job, Cyber. <laughs> but I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think the systems that they put in place to um, will offer like some good depth and like will keep you going. So I'm interested in that, and I also kind of want to play around with the versus stuff. So yeah. if you guys are bringing your switches to packs, we can try. I'm it. not playing you, Steimer. You just called it easy, and I stopped at the first game. <laughs> you can play with somebody else. <laughs> I'll play with Britt. Yeah, we can be yeah. co-op body, co-op body. Yeah, well, also yeah, you bodies. can play co-op, and we can oh, we can teach you through that. Yay! But no, it's really cute. I think if it wasn't for the Mario and the Mushroom Kingdom shenanigans, I probably wouldn't be very into this game. Um, but because it is so damn charming and it is like laugh out loud funny to me, I think the animations of the rabbits, especially the Donkey Kong rabbit, hilarious. Uh, I, yeah, like I said, I have intentions to finish it. It's a fine game. It's fun. Just not the kind of game where I'm like, uh, if anything, it's getting me excited for a Mario Odyssey. Because I love the surrounding world and the details and little Mario-isms. And it's like, I want to go explore that. It's weird not to be able to jump in a Mario game. I'm struggling with that a bit. Oh, you can. You can um, 
if you invest in a Mario's one of one of the perks in his skill tree, you can use the jump like with the other characters, and you can bounce on um, enemies' heads. I'm and talking about when them. you're like wandering the the land. Oh, I, yeah, but I'm just yeah. saying you can sort of you can sort of have the splat satisfaction. Just only I know, Samer, stop mansplaining me. I know. Wow, what? <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was a joke. No. It was a joke. It was a bad joke. LOL. I didn't know if you'd gotten that far in the skill tree yet. That's all. I love you, girl. We'll hug it. We'll hug it out tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No fighting. Um, okay. So to go back to champing versus chomping. Okay. Oh, yeah. This, okay. Is, this is why I was spaced out a little earlier. I was like, uh, you're right, Samer. Damn it. No. No. Hold on. Oh. It's did. It's morphed let me to read, chomping let me over read time. This real quick. One dish definition of bit is a metal mouthpiece used for controlling a horse. And one mm-hmm. definition of champ is to bite or chew noisily. These are the senses meant in the idiom champing at the bit, which refers to the tendency of some horses to chew on the bit when impatient or eager. In its figurative sense, it means to show impatience while delayed or just to be eager to start. The idiom is usually written chomping at the bit and some people consider this spelling wrong but chomp can also mean to bite or chew noisily though chomped things are often eaten while champed things are not so chomp at the bit means roughly the same as champ at the bit in fact chomp which began as a variant of champ is alive in english while the biting related sense of champ is dead outside this idiom so it's no wonder that chomping at the bit is about 20 times as common as champing at the bit on the web. Champing at the bit can sound funny to people who aren't familiar with the idiom or the obsolete <laughs> sense of champ, while most English speakers can infer the meaning of chomping at the bit. Yes. No, it's 100% correct. And when, um, when Dana first from the corrected me... I was like, it surely is not champing. Like, I was the same. I did the exact same thing you both did. I was like, no. Here's the thing. <laughs> I would tell your friend at IGN whether she's still there or she's not. She's not there anymore. Hey, get down off your high horse. Pun fucking intended. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Champing is clearly, as it says here, a word that's dead in the English language. Nobody uses it. So to be like, mm, excuse me, you're saying the idiom wrong. is like, come on. Come, come on. on. What's but good I like champing? It. Champing. Did to be fair, I wasn't champing? trying to say you guys were wrong. I'm just saying the original term was champing, and it's now it's like sort of morphed. It's like AT versus at at. We're both right. Yes, exactly, exactly, 100. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ask everybody wins? Oh, it's just <laughs> okay. Before we move on to the final segment. Um, I wanted to just quickly touch on the Call of Duty World War II multiplayer beta that happened. Uh, I played on the PlayStation 4. Uh, The game runs very smooth. The graphics look excellent. Man, I fucking suck at Call of Duty. (laughs) If anything was more apparent, it's that I am terrible at Call of Duty multiplayer, and that is why I do not play it. I only play the single-player campaigns, which are fun, bombastic, popcorn, action flicks of campaigns. Um, I've always really appreciated um, the work that the various studios who work under the Call of Duty banner with Activision do in these really fantastic campaigns, and clearly they're not going to, you know, put out that out for the beta. They don't need that. They need to stress test their servers. Um, and I am realizing as I was playing exactly why I don't play it, and like the gameplay is just too fast. 
Um, and when I say that, I mean like I feel like I run out and I'm immediately shot before I can even get to where the action is. And I, I specifically played Domination, which is like, you know, you capture the control points or whatever because I was like, I, I need an objective to make me feel like I'm contributing. Just straight up deathmatch is just too much of a free-for-all for me. But I, I really struggled with the progression system with your guns because you really are kind of forced to fail quite a bit in the beginning of the progression because you are just going to get outgunned by people who have unlocked better weapons than you. And that, to me, is the frustrating part about Call of Duty multiplayer and why I choose not to spend very much time playing it. Because unlike... The Crucible in Destiny, where I get to bring my PvE weapons that I've earned over hours of playing PvE and that I've gotten to practice with, I can bring those in and I can pick and choose which ones I want. In Call of Duty, the progression in multiplayer is completely separate than the progression in the campaign. If I could play through the entire campaign in Call of Duty World War II and bring everything that I've unlocked or played with you know, in the campaign over into multiplayer... I think that would be fantastic, but that's just never the way that they've run their progression in multiplayer. And I think that that's alienating to a lot of people out there who enjoy FPS games like I do and who enjoy playing campaigns, especially ones as cinematically beautiful and graphically fantastic, if that's even a phrase that grammatically makes sense. It is now. (laughs) Um, As, you know, the Call of Duty franchise. So... Um, you know, clearly fans are liking the direction of having it being set in World War II, but it clearly has changed the pace of multiplayer. And there are some really funny gifs and memes going around about people missing the jetpack because this is World War II. There are no jetpacks. <laughs> um, so this really it, different movement system that we saw in the last few iterations of the multiplayer of Call of Duty is gone because it needs to be true to World War II. Um, And that's true for the weapons, too. You know, like, these are historically accurate weapons, and so they aren't as fancy and as bombastic as some of these cool futuristic things that we've got. But, you know, the the killstreak items return, and, you know, the different roles are... are, They've kind of changed up the way that they're doing the progression in multiplayer this time around. But um, overall, like, it feels very... Call of Duty, but if you are a big fan of the PvP section of Call of Duty, I would encourage you to maybe take some time looking at the changes because if you played a lot of Infinite Warfare, um, you're probably going to be in for a little bit of a rude awakening when you get into World War II. I, I tried Call of Duty multiplayer once many moon ago, probably eight years ago. And I thought it was a badass because I completed the Call of Duty campaign on normal difficulty with no issue at all. And uh, I was very humbled that day. That is my Call of Duty <laughs> multiplayer story. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, I watched some. Oh, yeah. No, no, just, go ahead, Steimer. I just watched some of the gameplay. Somebody was streaming the, this beta. And I just watched for a little bit um, in bed. And I was like, yep. To me, like as a not Call of Duty player, I'm like, looks like Call of Duty. People are killing each other really quickly, and I would never, I would not last like two seconds of this. No. But no, I'm excited for the Call of Duty fans of the world. Sounds like people have been enjoying it. Uh, good for you. That's all I got. Yep. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, with that, we are going to end the second segment, and we are going to take another short break. When we come back, 
It's time for Peter Dinklage. Peter Dinklage. Stay tuned. Sorry. We'll be right back. This episode of the What's Good Games podcast is brought to you by TakeThis.org. Hey, listen. Everyone struggles to feel good sometimes. Feeling depressed after a breakup or anxious about a job interview is part of life. And for some people, those feelings never really go away or they get worse over time. If that sounds like you or someone you know, you're not alone. And there's help at TakeThis.org. Our friends at Take This have collected advice and articles from mental health workers and other people who've been there. From advice on how to find a therapist to when to know it's time to get help. TakeThis.org is a treasure trove of information about your brain and what to do when it hurts. Take This has been working to bring the mental health care community and the video game community together since 2012. If you or someone you love could use some perspective, visit them at TakeThis.org. And if you have the resources to donate or volunteer, TakeThis.org is where you do that too. It's dangerous to go alone. Take This. Welcome back, everybody. This has been a segment we have been very excited to do. So at the beginning of Season 7 of Game of Thrones, we talked about our expectations, our hopes, our dreams. (laughs) And now the season has ended and we're going to have a spoiler cast. So in case you missed me saying this twice already, we're going to be talking about Game of Thrones Season 7 spoilers, including the finale. If you haven't yet watched this and you don't want to be spoiled, now is a good time to head on over to patreon.com slash what's good games or maybe youtube.com slash what's good games or maybe you want to go to our twitter account at what's good underscore games or better yet maybe you want to check out our facebook at facebook.com slash what's good games yeah girl did i say that already <laughs> you did yeah, 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 yeah i don't know nice. but yeah anyway you don't want to be here come back and revisit this episode sometime yeah and All also right. to clarify our first discussion of game of thrones was a secret segment so that was patreon only oh look at that so. I guess you should go to patreon.com games <laughs> and unlock the secret segment. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Oh, which, by the way, we are in talks to make past secret segments public. Um, Britt, do you want to talk about those plans? Should we wait to talk about those plans? Oh, we can talk. We'll make, obviously, a post in Patreon. All, all, so everyone will be aware. But yeah, the plan is um, we want to leave those secret segments exclusive to Patreon for a month. And then we will open up to the public eyeballs. And there are many reasons for this. We probably shouldn't go into those right here, right now. But we will definitely elaborate on those reasons in our Patreon post. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Season 7. Wow. What a roller coaster of a season and the finale was fantastic. I was incredibly happy with the way that everything ended. Were there a few criticisms? Yes. Did this whole season have some major plot point problems? Yes. Yes. <laughs> but damn, it was the most exciting Game of Thrones season yet. Steimer, what yeah. are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts were at the beginning of the season, I was super amped for like everything that was happening i was like yes yes this is like you just said this is the most exciting season ever um and things are happening now and it's not taking forever and then the last two episodes it got to me a little bit and i was a bit um less enthused and kind of 
I guess like a, a criticism I've seen around the web, and I, I think this is definitely true, is it got a bit too fan fiction-y? Or like a bit too... Um, Gratuitous? Fan service. Too much fan service. And I was, was like, everyone yeah, banging I, everyone? Not no, everyone actually, was banging was everyone, but... There was very little banging this season until the last episode. There were two scenes this season that I can think of. Grey Worm and... Um, Wow, Masandi? I can't remember her name. What? Masandi. And Masandi, yeah. Grey Worm and Masandi. And then, um, obviously, Dan and John. Dan and John? Wow. <laughs> Danny and John. <laughs> um, the la- like, the last thing that happens, which... So, Br- I don't think... Well, you- did you watch it? Well, and scene between Cersei and Jamie where they're in bed together, and she gets, like, a knock on the door from one of her, like, handmaids, and he's like, don't answer it. Like, we can't be seen together like this. And she's like, bitch, I'm the fucking queen of Westeros. I'll do what I want. I don't remember that scene. comes in, and Jamie's, like, super uncomfortable, and the maid's like, hey, Jamie. And then she leaves. Do you remember that? (laughs) No, I don't, which is weird. I'm like, wait, how did I miss that? Oh, um, I just see Lena Headey's butt. It is a nice butt. Jon Snow also has a nice butt. Oh my gosh, we could just talk about butts, but we're, we digress. <laughs> yes. Continue, Steimer. Oh no, I'd asked Britt a question. I wasn't sure if. Mm. Oh, right, right, right. Um, we should preface this discussion with I only saw the first couple seasons of Game of Thrones. However, I love watching Twitter, I love reading the BuzzFeed articles about all the latest and greatest. I saw the last sex scene, glorious. I know that's kind of weird for certain reasons, but. Nope, um, not weird man. at all. Well, no, 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 because no. aren't they related? Yes, but. But, yes, let's, okay. let's jump right into so, the so, incest so, moment. So, so let we? me just say, I am here. <laughs> I am here to drink, not along, and tune in when we're talking about butts and sexual intercourse <laughs> yeah, between girl. characters. Continue. <laughs> you you can score the butts. <laughs> um, so the whole incest thing of like, oh, it's her, it's his aunt, blah de blah. I'm like, yeah, but you got to think back then. It's not unusual to have that. I mean, maybe that's slightly close. But for the most part, there was incest in these royal families. Would like, you like that's to how know they worked. the definition of the word incest? Yes, yeah. I would. Sexual relations between people classed as being too closely related to marry each other. So, so oh, that, I thought there was other, more. I was the, waiting. According to the Merriam-Webster, what this means is their definition is sexual intercourse between persons so closely related that they are forbidden by law to marry. So, okay. and under that definition, Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, uh, technically, it's not incest because their wedding would be legal in Westeros. Would it? Uh, yeah, I guess, it, what, you're right, in Westeros, in that world, yes, it would Targaryens be legal. Because the have done that for centuries. Yes. They've, yes. They, didn't they marry brother to sister? Or was uh, that too close? Was it, they married, they did marry very close. So. The Targaryens tended to keep it in the fam. Um, and maybe not as like as close as Jamie and Cersei. Like that might be, you know. It's I mean, it They're obviously twins. is weird. It's, it has a, a a level of weirdness that everyone's uncomfortable with, except for them. Yeah, I mean, they were in the womb together. Yeah, yeah. that's like yeah. a little like <laughs> brother and sister is close, but twins is like real close. Real, I'm sure real that we close. have at least one set of twins who listens to the show. Please write into us. <laughs> Tell us your feelings on twins. And if you and your right mind could ever imagine, I'm going to ask you to do the unthinkable. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Explain if this would be a possibility for you. 
Oh my god. I have okay. a you're gonna say no. So aunt <laughs> and nephew banged. Danny yes. and John. But they're the sim- of similar age. So she so and this is the part that I think is sort of weird. Like when people think it's his aunt, like you would think of somebody older, right? Like an aunt and a nephew. Sure. But no, they're like they're of a similar age. It's sort of a situation like um my father and my aunt that I have down here, she's not actually my aunt, she's my great aunt, and she is uh more closely like related she's my dad's aunt. But they're same the same age because she was born much later in the life cycle. <laughs> so because they are the same age and because it is of that fictional world, it's not weird. Like people the viewers weren't turned off by that. If anything sounds like they were turned on. Correct. Uh, okay. So that can't be the most exciting thing that happened though. I want to know. Like, I mean, it was pretty exciting, mostly because he, he does have a really nice butt. Like, but, yeah, but what does so that symbolize? Nice the reason why it's important is is because in his voiceover, when Sam is talking to Bran, Bran about this, he says that technically Jon Snow or Aegon Targaryen, as his name is, you know, kind of we find out in the finale is the rightful heir to the Iron Throne. Which means, if he's the rightful heir, Daenerys can't be the rightful heir. Right, and she gonna be mad. She gonna be real mad that she's gone through all of this work and has amassed this army and she has all of these followers and she's like, that. I'm gonna rule Westeros, I'm meant to be queen. And not only that, I'm the last Targaryen and it's like, ha ha ha. So she doesn't know. She doesn't know. She doesn't he doesn't know. know. Neither of them know, which is why they hooked up because they don't know. I'm really excited to see how the, they're going to handle it when they find out. <laughs> yeah, that follow will be nice. But here's my question to you, Andrea: Is like for everyone's like, oh, it's going to like put a rift in their relationship because, like you said, like Danny's going to be like, oh my god, my whole life is a lie, essentially. Um, but John is not a power hungry guy. No. John, of all people, would probably be more likely to say, you know what? take it like you clearly want this more than i do right but and that's I'm just fine not the being... way of the world right look at what happened with theon but if he doesn't Yara. tell anybody he still can be Jon snow who knows sam and bran like they don't need to tell anyone they can just continue life that way this is what's gonna happen okay John, go for it brett john's gonna be like eh, you know this is a lot to take on why don't you danny just amelia Clark? gorgeous woman why don't oh you God. take totally. the throne and i will i will collect royalties and we will form a relationship it'll be like in dragon age origins where if Al- if you're an elf and alistair is the king you can't publicly be known it can't be known that there are things but behind the scenes there's some freaky deaky shit going on you could be the <laughs> mistress but here's the thing to me too i'm like uh you see Tyrion looking a little bit um displeased with the fact that they are banging in the ship and i think because you know he senses like uh oh this was once a political relationship and now it is a sexual relationship and how is this gonna work um but to me i'm like but wouldn't that just you could like marry them and then everything is fine can danny get pregnant we don't know yet. She says she can't, but Dan, John, this was the best when Don, John Snow was like, "Have you considered she may have lied to you?" And basically, like, challenge accepted. Like, let's no, <laughs> let's so rock the and reason, roll. The reason why Danny can't get pregnant, according to the lore of the book, is that the like the Magi, the woman who tried to save um, 
called Cal Drogo, used blood magic to essentially kill the baby that was in her womb, mm-hmm. the son that was supposed to like mount the world or whatever this this yeah. stallion that the she was stallion supposed to give, that to, what, what to give birth it? to when she was Khaleesi uh, and this sorceress this witch like killed the baby in her womb and scarred her womb essentially making her barren for the rest of her life as like a blood sacrifice to to save the life of Khal Drogo except and that we didn't all know work. how that turned out he was a vegetable yeah. And then she had to kill him because she couldn't see this powerful, you know, horse lord just like vegetable town. And it was real sad. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, it yeah. me out. But so she is, she's like, by all accounts, considered barren. Like, in the book she's lore, not, yes. However, they've done some the things lore, in the show. In the, in the, in I the mean, show lore, too, they've upheld that, that she's not supposed to be able to have children at all. Of course, it's Game of Thrones. Jon Snow came back from the dead. Right. Granted, they did use a canical device Method. with the Lord of Light and the Red Priestess, and that could, the same thing, like brought Beric Dondarrion back m- more than once. So it could potentially be that she could maybe get pregnant, but I would be really shocked if they flew in the face of this this ideology that they've established that she's barren because of this blood magic thing that happened. I would be surprised if she was, I think after this season, I wouldn't be surprised if they went back on it just because like I said, I think the showrunners kind of went a little bit and and there was a really good point. Someone, what? They went a bit fanficky. They went a bit fanficky and there was so much what people would call plot armor on the characters that people didn't really die this season. Granted, not that many people left. But there were certain situations that they put the characters in where they absolutely should have died. Absolutely 1,000%. Jon Snow should be dead again. Like, there is no reason that he would have been... So, Britt, um, like, there's a there's a, a part where they're sort of stuck up in the north, uh, beyond the wall, and they are marooned on this island of ice because they're surrounded by whites and the White Walkers. And the only reason that the they're... The of the so, dead, yeah. Yes. Yeah, the only reason they're somewhat safe is because the weight of all the whites like cracked the ice around them and they all started to sink in. So they stopped Mm. uh, progressing. So there's like this weird standoff moment where they're all like, just like, well, we might die here, freeze to death. Mm -hmm. Um, And Jon Snow at the end of that, blah, blah, fast forward, Jon Snow at some point, as everybody's escaping, um, falls through the ice. Like, and is in the freezing cold water for a significant amount of time, I would say. And he's pulled down by a white. And, but then, like, as conveniently as soon as the method of transport, the, Daenerys flies in on a dragon, saves them. Uh, another dragon is killed. Anyways, as they're flying away, like, they're clearly gone. And then it seems like three minutes later, Jon Snow comes up out of the ice and on the water with his I sword. I have I'm risen! Like, yeah, and I'm like, no. Okay, well, so. And- the whole scene that whole scene is problematic for a variety of reasons. First, yes. in the finale, they make a big whoop-de-doo about the fact that the whites can't swim. Uh, Euron Greyjoy says, I'm going to sail back to my island. If they can't swim, they can't get to the Ironborn. I'm going to wait out winter, and when I come back, I'll deal with whoever's left. He tells Daenerys, hey, you go back to your island. I'll go back to mine, and when winter's over, you know, we'll, like, fuck our brains out, and we'll rule everything. And Daenerys, of course, like, gives him the bird with her eyes, as she should, because Euron mm-hmm. is gross. But, like, 
the thing that's problematic is in the scene where Jon Snow is on the ice island with, you know, the the rest of the uh, Westerosi Avengers is that he <laughs> the whites are swimming underwater and pull John down. Now, they're not like fucking doing the backstroke or anything crazy, <laughs> but they're in the water and they're moving around. Yeah. And so like can they not swim? And then a lot of people brought up the fact that how did the dragon get the chains on him? Where did they get the chains? And who put them on the dragon in order to be able to pull the carcass of the dead dragon out of the water so that the Night King could transition him into, like, ice zombie dragon? Um, I can see how they could easily put them on, like the chains put on, and that's it. But your first question is the bigger one. Where did they get these chains? Um, Because what you can do is you can just, like, basically sacrifice the pawns, right? Like, send the whites down the water. They're not coming back up, but who cares? You get the dragon out of it. Right. They tie it down, you know, at the bottom and then live there forever, I guess. Like, I don't really know. Are they just chilling at the bottom of the lake? Yeah, because they're, they're not dead. So yeah. I think, I think the, the thing that is that um, I, there's just a, the, the, big, the biggest problem with this season is, is these, little, these little cracks have, have amassed to a point where we really as fans have to suspend our disbelief even more so than we normally do with a fantasy series because they're taking liberties. And I think the fanfic criticisms are 100% valid. I think that it's clear the showrunners have no source material to go from anymore. I don't believe that George R.R. Martin is heavily involved in the scripting that's happening. Yep. I think he's there in a consultation capacity. But we already know, as fans who like me who've read the books, we already know that the show has diverted from the storylines in the books quite severely in many cases. And so you can't really compare. But I have to believe that a lot of the things that we saw in this season, like the, like the major plot lines will stay the same, but like the filler will be a little bit different. Absolutely. Um, and... The other main criticism besides the fanfic point is the time travel, or like not time travel, but essentially characters are now teleporting around the map, right? Like before in prior seasons, it took forever. It, they showed like how long, or they, they made you feel how long it took to get from one part they of the world to the other. relationships along those journeys. I mean, almost all of Arya's storyline takes place on the journey that she uh, takes with the Hound and with Meat Pie. Yeah, <laughs> think about how long that whole exposition took, and that was them leaving King's Landing, right? And- totally. And uh, there was a funny map that I saw, and it was like Jon Snow's travel, and it's do 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 do, and then the <laughs> the army of the dead's travel, and it was like this much. Like they just <laughs> right that that totally is super inconsistent. It was really frustrating that everybody else could teleport, but the army of the dead was at hard home. Which, according to the map of the world, is not that far from the wall. Exactly. And then what they did is they just kind of just like meandered around in the in the woods for the entire season. <laughs> that was a, a point that I was a little bit upset about. I had hoped that there would have been more conflict with the White Walker army 
in the season. And really, there was just two things. There was the scene with, you know, the Avengers on the ice where the dragon was defeated. And then there was the final scene of the entire season where they finally came and destroyed, used the dragon that had the been undead converted dragon. into a, a White Walker dragon into destroying part of the wall. And the army has now breached the wall. And so they didn't really address the fact that the wall is supposed to have bedrock magic in it and the whites are not supposed to even be able to cross the wall and that they were able to so easily destroy the wall with one dragon and what is he breathing is it fire but it's blue is it like magic fire fire. blue fire blue fire but the thing though yes it's the wall is supposed to have some sort of magic in it you're right but I don't think anybody expected an undead dragon. Like, I feel like that may have been the el- the chess piece element people weren't expecting. That seems like and a I- cop out, though. Oh, I mean, of it one hundred percent is. Thank you, Britt. But the yeah, I guess the other issue I had related to this whole storyline was the, t- in my opinion, stupid idea to be like, let's go catch a white and bring it back to King's Landing because I'm like. If Daenerys doesn't believe me, why doesn't she just get on a dragon and go fly and see? Huh. And then, like, just go do some recon, right? Like, just go look and bounce, like, and you don't have to fight anything. Now, you won't convince Cersei, but obviously, as we saw, you weren't going to convince her anyway. No. Um, so there was really no point in the entire meeting trying to convince Cersei to have a truce or to, like, become be on your side. She did a really good job of playing everybody in that meeting. Okay. Um. But it's, I was just like, what, why? As someone who follows a lot of people who are Game of, a lot of Game of, Game of Thrones. I almost said Games of Thrones, but that wouldn't have made any sense. <laughs> Game of Thrones fans, it seems like every Sunday, everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh my God, cry emojis and like dramatic emojis and clap emojis. But then a lot of people are complaining about the show. So like, what's going on with that? It's more entertaining now, for sure, I'll say, because mm-hmm. things happen much faster. So it's much easier to, I think, initially be like, oh, my. And I've, I'm guilty of this, too. I'm a hypocrite. Like, I, a few, I think it was like third to the ending episode, I said I didn't care that they were teleporting. But this really, the second and the last episodes really did make me care. Mm-hmm. I just, it sort of started to um, chip away at me, I guess. Okay. Uh, so I think that's what it is for me and kind of looking once you can see the whole picture and look back, it's easier to critique where the storylines were going. Um, but I do th- I just think it was the excite. It's just the excitement factor because nobody knows what's going to happen in any of these episodes, because as Andrea said, there's no more source material. So shit goes down and it's dramatic and exciting. And then you like you come down from it and then you critique it and you're like, wait. Yes. OK, another thing. A lot of ne- not not negativity critiquing, but what was your favorite part of the season? Um, I think my, hands down, without question, the dragons were the best part of the season, and that's why it was so expensive to shoot Game of Thrones. The CG that they did with the dragons was impeccable. They were gorgeous. Every scene that they were in, they were the star of the show. They were in so many episodes this season and you just couldn't get enough of them. Super majestic. And I just like, I love that we've been, we saw them kind of like from pre-birth when Jorah gave Daenerys the eggs as a wedding gift. And then like 
her journey with the eggs to where, you know, she put them on Drogo's funeral pyre and then they were hatched in birth. And then we saw her travel with them as babies and then they went to Marine and they were growing up and now they were free. And her bond with Dro- um, Drogon? No. What uh, is the name of the big one? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> it does start with a D. Uh, I think it's. Is it true? I think Come. it might be the Drogon. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll I think it might quick. be. But, yeah. um, just the fact that they look so amazing in every scene and they're so powerful. It was incredibly hard to see them be vulnerable. I remember in the battle at High Garden where Daenerys came in to attack Jamie and his army as they were looting the what was left of the Tyrells that you know, I think we all kind of like caught our breath a little bit when he took that spear to the wing. And we're like, no, you can't kill him. And then he he survived that. And then to have all three of them go north with her and have one of them fall. I mean, they did need to make the stakes high. You know, like Steimer, you rightly criticized them for saying, hey, like there weren't really any stakes in this season because no one really died. I mean, clearly having one of the dragons die was a big, was a big stake and, and having him be turned into a white Walker really upped the ante there. But that for me was, was my favorite part. And I really also liked how the Stark storyline finally kind of all came together. It was really tough seeing what that family has gone through over seven seasons of game of Thrones from the beginning with Ned being beheaded and then what happened to Catelyn Stark at the Red Wedding and John and uh, Rob. Me, Rob Stark, you know, and like seeing the siblings split apart and having their dire wolves killed even, you know, like all of it was really tragic. They were just like a really tragic family and seeing these, the last of the siblings split apart and finally having them be reunited this season was a really triumphant moment. And yes. the final kind of, you know, culminating in the final scene with Littlefinger, where you think, I mean, I didn't really think that Littlefinger was hoodwinking Arya after all she went through in Bravos. I, I, not for one second did I think that she was like that Littlefinger was fooling her. But I was really happy to see them come together to overturn him and say, you know what, we caught you in your lies. Bran finally put his stupid powers to use. <laughs> I was like, hey guys, I can actually go back and look at all these really shady things that Littlefinger did. And to, Why don't you like, ask me? Yeah, I mean, I, we'll get into like the power, the problem with Bran's power in a second. But um, those were my kind of favorite moments this season. I want to touch on Back to the Dragons um, because I agree like they were like so well done, like beautiful. However, I disagree with you on that being a high stake because they didn't kill the one you cared about. Um, and so I think, was is it Drogon? Did you look it up? Or you're looking it up now. Um, so Danny and um, I'm waiting for Andrea to find the name to make sure I'm not saying it wrong. <laughs> dragon man. Dragon. The black dragon. The, uh, they have the tightest bond. And so when they killed off kind of one of the superfluous ones, <laughs> it was like, okay, that's sad. But even her reaction to it, granted, I'm assuming she was in shock, but like it didn't seem uh, as impactful. Is okay, good. So yeah, so like if I were to rewrite that scene and wanted to make it a George R.R. R. Martin style, the also apparently Night, the Night King is a friggin' Olympian and can throw a javelin with incredible accuracy 
hits a flying target out of midair really I mean, far away. not even an Olympian. He's superhuman, right? He's fucking right. Superman. Yeah. And so instead of picking the target that is stationary <laughs> and has been and has literally all of the people you're trying to kill on it, um, I, it would have just made more sense to be like, he kills Drogon. And they're all stranded on this little island. One of the other dragons swoops in, picks them up, and they all GTFO. Like, that would have made more sense to me. And then, yet, I think the audience would have cared more because that's the dragon we care about. Because it's the only one we've seen because it's too expensive to put all three CG all the time. He's also the largest of the three. Like, in the books, he's considered, like, the leader of the three of those dragons. Like, the most powerful, the biggest, the biggest wingspan, like, the fiercest fire, whatever. Um, And so I think maybe that's why they didn't kill him off specifically. But um, I see your point. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm sure how, how did you feel about her reaction? Because to me, I was like, I kind of ex- was expecting more. Like, she literally just saw her child. Oh, yeah. I, w- I was expecting full on, like, weeping. And, like, I get that in the heat of the battle, you got to maybe keep it together to, like, save yourself. You're in fight or flight mode. You don't have time to be sad. But I would have thought afterwards. And see, this is what, this is the thing that Game of Thrones suffered for this season and why they should not have shortened the season because in any other Game of Thrones season they could have taken the time to show Daenerys mourning and grieving and the emotional process that she went through with losing one of her children instead of just having like a frown face and like a bit of a tear in her eye when she talks to Jon Snow about her dragon dying and having to be all for nothing you know when he, you know, in the final scene when they're at the, the meet and greet with Cersei, um, that they didn't get the opportunity to really explore what she went through and that loss and what that means to her, that not only is the dragon gone and it's like a huge blow to her force as from a, from a commander-in-chief perspective, but also like these dragons are her only children. They've been with her since they were eggs. They were a gift from Jorah. They are part of her identity. And we didn't get to see her fully process what that truly means. And that's just one of many moments that's been overlooked this whole season because they've just been running at a breakneck speed to get through as much as possible. And it's kind of, to me, a little bit of a travesty. Yeah, I definitely agree. And then um, for the Stark children, I did. I loved their, like you mentioned, their redemption against Littlefinger at the end. I was a little irritated at the show editing, though, to try and set it up so hard to make you believe that Arya and Sansa were, like, gonna be at each other's throats. And, um, and like, and you know they did it on purpose. And I'm like, why are you just trying to straight up mislead us? That's not, to me, good sh- storytelling. Um, you need to have some sort of indication there of what's going to happen coming up. Otherwise, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, when was when were these secret meetings happening? Was the meeting with Arya where she was sort of threatening Sansa or like being kind of weird and like, I could cut your face off. Like, was that what was that for? Why did she do that? Because Littlefinger was nowhere around. That was like, not even close to being a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, something interesting I read on IGN today was that the actor who plays Bran said that they had cut a scene. And the scene that they cut, I think, would have made this so much better. So they should have kept it in. Uh, and it was basically, I think, after that meeting Sansa has with Littlefinger, and she's like, Arya is going to kill me. That's what this, what you are essentially telling me. 
Uh, and she goes to Bran and it just says, she goes, I need your help. And like, that's the only, that's it. That's the scene. And I'm like, that would have made it have make so much more sense that she's reaching an escalation point with Littlefinger, kind of thinking something's up and then goes to Bran to fact check. And then like, they all get together and take him down. But the way that they had cut it this way, it just seems completely random. Hmm. It's like the showrunners were trying to force some drama where there, where the audience was like, listen, you're not going to hoodwink us into thinking that the Starks, who are finally reunited, who have been through so much emotional pain, are going to just suddenly turn on each other. And start like, bickering, really, right? We were supposed to believe that bullshit? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what's the thing with Bran's power? You said that you wanted to talk about mm-hmm. it and have it's a problem. Okay, so Bran is the three-eyed raven. So his whole journey north of the wall was to find the three-eyed raven, this mystical figure who can see everything in the past and see everything in the present. And he never intended to become the three-eyed raven, I think, when he originally set off on this journey with the reeds. But now he's it. And Mira essentially gave... Her brother's life and Hodor's life. Well, not Mira, but like they both gave their lives and Mira almost lost her life trying to make sure that Bran accomplished this and was then delivered safely back south of the wall. And now that he's there, he's supposed to be this all-knowing, all-powerful figure. But the problem is, and comics suffer from this sometimes too, um, is that when you create a character who is incredibly powerful you have to figure out some kind of narrative device to temper their power because otherwise how what what's to stop them from just like destroying or ruling everything that's the reason why kryptonite exists right because otherwise superman would just like lay waste to everything on earth because he's the most powerful being possible he fucking stares laser beams he can lift anything he flies but he's got to have he's like the handsome. weakness right and so, like, Bran, so far, hasn't been given a weakness really other than the fact that he's crippled and he can't walk, right? So that he's, um, he, but, like, as far as a weakness goes, is that, is that a true weakness for how crazy powerful being able to see everything in the past and the present is? Here's the problem, though, Andrea. You have to assume that someone's going to listen to you. So you can know everything there is to know, but... If you don't have that trusted group of people who actually believe you, you're going to think you're a crazy person just spouting off. Yeah, but do you, do you actually think like, that people don't believe him, especially after what I, happened I think with they, the Littlefinger scene? In Winterfell, they do. However, will the rest of the world is my question. And like, I, I don't like Cersei's not going to believe you. Like, no, like nobody out like outside of the North is going to be like, oh, cool. This guy seems to know what he's talking about. Now, granted, Bran can kind of produce pieces of evidence he can know things nobody else can know so he can sort of prove it um but i just don't think that knowing everything that happened before is that power like it's great you know history (laughs) cool like and (laughs) so it's a matter of will people believe him it's that and then also i don't think that knowing history is is it is akin to superman i don't know like i don't think that it's like a a believe in him because he can debunk that easily he can sure. say, listen, I'm going to point out yeah. this exact thing that happened to you that only you know about. But guess what? I saw you. I saw it all. <laughs> I know everything. And then they'll be like, oh, shit, you're like the best psychic I've ever gotten my tarot cards read from. <laughs> and you like, have a lot of those moments with Bran and Littlefinger, and they're great. Yeah. I think that, I think that um, 
his role is obviously going to become much bigger in the next in the next season. But I think the questions people are asking, like, is well, if Bran was is a three eyed raven, he should know how they defeated the White Walkers during the long night. He should know everything else. He should be able to see this. But we did see a little bit of like a chink in the armor where Sam came to him. And he was like, oh, you didn't know that I found this script? And you mean Gilly found the script or a scroll that... <laughs> mm, actually, that that's debunked because he transcribed it. Gilly was just reading it. So he, Sam made that, like, he transcribed that note. But then Gilly was just reading it aloud. So she was reading it to the audience, but Sam did already know that information. Sorry. just No, that's saying. fine. <laughs> Thank you, Simon, for that correction. <laughs> um, anyway, the point, the point being, like, you have to kind of figure out where to draw the line as to, like, how powerful he is. Now, one thing I do want to say is that the Night King theory that Bran is the Night King is whack. It's yeah. not realistic. Hmm. Even the actor himself calls the theory far-fetched. So I wouldn't hold. I don't, I don't think anybody else should hold his breath or her breath that Bran is going to become <laughs> or or is all along has been the Night King. I don't think that that's a thing. He also mentions in that article you're referencing, um, though, a, a sort of explanation as to why he didn't know about the marriage, and he was like, "Imagine you've just been you've had every like encyclopedia downloaded into your brain. Yes, the information's there, but you're not sure where to look for it, or like you need to have some sort of direction." In order to use this power, you can't just be like, I want to know everything that there is to know. But when Sam is like, no, he He's did not this like the fifth element. Exactly. <laughs> 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 so, you know, when he would when, when Sam gives him that clue and that trigger, he can go to that place. And that, I think, unlocks the name that John had. So essentially, Bran is the Google of Game he of Thrones. Is. He is the Google. Okay. You must ask it a question. Yeah. Cat videos. <laughs> exactly. Um, man, I feel like we could just keep talking about this. I wanted to mention one more thing. Yes, Steimer, tell me. My my happiest moment actually was Jamie Lannister leaving Cersei Lannister at the end of the show, and there was a half a second for me. Slow clap for Jamie. The brother finally left the sister. Yes, like they broke up. Yes. Yes. Well, Well, in more ways than one. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. She called him a traitor and, like, was threatening him with the mountain, the zombie mountain. Um, so even I knew she couldn't kill him because if she didn't kill Tyrion, there's no way she's going to kill Jamie. But there was still that half of a second my heart skipped a beat when the mountain, like, unsheathed his sword. And I was like, <gasps> like, holy crap, no. And then, yeah, it did, obviously it didn't pan out. But they, they got me for that half second with that noise. Just the Sheep. steel, like, sliding out of the sheath. I was like, oh. No, you can't kill him. I like him. Um, but so, yeah, I was like, I was I was really proud of Jamie <laughs> for standing up for himself and sort of listening to Brienne, which I found. Uh, so at the meeting that they have, Brienne, essentially, she was like, fuck loyalty. Like, this is bigger than loyalty. The Night King and like all of the stuff that's coming our way. We need to be fighting for the world here. We can't be fighting for like petty reasons. So Jamie takes that course of action or really believes in that and Cersei is more still trying to politically maneuver and stay on the throne and stay in power so she lies to everyone and says we're going to march north with you and like fight the king with you and we're not going to ask for anything in return and aren't we so great 
However, as Jamie's like laying out these plans, she walks up and she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, doing the thing you said to do. And she's like, do you think I'm an idiot? Like, we're not doing that. We're actually doing this other super shady thing where we're leaving them to fight. And then we're going to go take over every place that's abandoned at this point. And that's what sort of like breaks Jamie and Cersei up as he's he's rightly says uh, our two options here with your plan are they go north. They fail. The south, uh, the dead come down south and kill us all. Or option two, they succeed. They realize what we've done. They come south and kill us all. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like, eh. these, <laughs> this is not a good plan. <laughs> no, it's terrible. And like the thing that's interesting about that scene and about Cersei and her progression as a character over the last two to three seasons is that she's like truly alone. I mean, granted, she's got Kyburn in the mountain, but they're not. She doesn't care about them. And I think this whole pregnant storyline is bullshit. Mm -hmm. I don't think she's actually pregnant. I think she's too old to be actually pregnant, especially in this, like, medieval setting that Game of Thrones is in. They don't have fucking electricity. Like, how... How can she? She she would have had Joff, Joffrey would have been like what like seventeen or eighteen, maybe even close to twenty by this point Sorry. if he was still alive. Yeah, I, I want well, to be yeah. able to be getting pregnant again. I'm laughing like, at Hell Andrew's no, point. Bitch, you lying about that. You lie about everything else. And they the don't have Jamie, electricity. How could you possibly be pregnant? No, I mean like the point is is like quote of the show. <laughs> most people don't live to be that old, and having. A child, when you're like in your mid to late 30s, is tough enough in the modern age. In 2017, it's tough. Having it in your like probably what she's probably in her early 40s, maybe late 30s. Mm, they got the, married the way younger though. No, because she would have had she would have been married off when she was a young teenager. Right, like 16 to 16 to 18, maybe. So let's say like 18, she has her first kid. Joffrey's like 16, 17 in the books. So, Okay, so let's say he's 17 by the time when he's murdered. Yeah. So that would make her... She's still mid-30s. Mid-30s. But then there's been, according to the timeline, there's been at least a couple of years that have passed between when Joffrey was murdered and then the whole thing happened with Tommen and the people, the Tyrells, and blah, 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 and we get to where we are now... Obviously, the teleportation has fucked with the timing of everything. Nobody knows. <laughs> yes, how long it has. We don't know taken. what time it is anymore. We don't know where what are year we? I don't it know. is. Yeah. Um, so let's just hypothetically say sure. that she's like thirty-five, like that old, old age of thirty-five. <laughs> <laughs> is it physically possible? I'd say for it's her more like pregnant? she's of like course. thirty-seven. But is sure. it likely? No, it's not likely. <laughs> Yeah. Also, she and Jamie have only hooked up like a couple times. She yeah, must be well, like they, the most fertile person in all of Westeros. Fertile Myrtles exist. Immediately got pregnant. The thing that also, how they, do you know you got pregnant? Huh? She's, you know, right, you just, well, yeah, especially in that day and age, right? Your stomach, you're like, mm, I feel the. Did you pee on a stick? This <laughs> is <laughs> like what? But um, my <laughs> thing is that, as you mentioned earlier with Danny, she cannot like she cannot get pregnant because of a reason. And so, because of a reason that was dumb, but you know what I mean? Like, there's a Blood canonical, magic. I can't say that word very well, reason as to why she can't get pregnant. But there's also one for Cersei, and that is the prophecy that um, was told ding, ding, about ding, ding, ding. her. And it said she will have three children. They will all have golden hair. Golden will be their cra- crowns, and golden will be their shrouds, I believe is the quote. Uh, so basically, you'll have three kids. They'll be 
uh, crowned and then they're all going to die. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the prophecy also says that she's going to get killed by her brother. The younger brother, which could be either Jamie or Tyrion. Yes. Because Jamie was born right after her. So I have to imagine that it's going to be Jamie that kills her because they're setting it up to like have her have this epic fall. And you can tell that he is slowly starting to see her for the monster that she is. I really liked the scene this season between Olena and Jamie mm. when he gives her the poison. Oh my God, such a baller scene. Oh God, it was so good, right? And she's just like, she's truly a monster. You have to see her for that, right? And Jamie, you can see Jamie kind of take pause and be like, is she a monster? She kind of is a monster, isn't she? But yeah. he, he doesn't obviously admit that to Olena. He has no reason to. But Jamie clearly sees that, especially when he gets back. And then she pulls the, how dare you, you know, like, go against me or, or, or betray me because of the meeting that Braun set up between Tyrion and Jamie, which clearly Jamie didn't know about. It's not like Jamie was like, was like, hey, Braun, set up this secret meeting with, like, the brother that I'm trying to actively execute. You know, she even says that she literally says, I know you didn't know about it, but it's still tre- like it's still treason anyway. And we're like, wait, what? Like, you knew he didn't know what he was going into, but you're still like calling him treacherous and like a betrayer and like all this stuff. Like, is it because you didn't drag him into your chambers and ha- let you behead him immediately? Like what? Yeah, it's man. The <laughs> Lannisters. I-, I don't see a world in the Game of Thrones universe where they're at in the series where the Lannisters can make a comeback. I really don't. No. There's just no way that... I mean, Cersei has pulled almost all of the cards out of her sleeve at this point. <laughs> like, she doesn't really have anything left. It's like, I mean, sure, your crossbow thing, the dragon burned. That didn't work out. Nope. Um, you kind of had to cave at your meeting because the, the the dragons and like sure you've got you know we've got Euron's hypothetically sailing to pick up this mercenary army and bring them back to Westeros and she's like oh the Iron Bank is at my side and I'm like yeah but the Iron Bank is they, all they care about is who's got the money and after they take the money that you've paid them back it's not like you have extra money to take out another loan with Yep. You, know? you are literally putting yourself back in debt for a move that's probably not even going to benefit you. Cersei's credit score is fucked, man. <laughs> she cannot buy a house. I don't know what she's thinking. <laughs> yeah, there's no electricity. Well, no, don't get hung no. up on that, Brit. <laughs> no, that was anyway, so it was funny. a funny saying. Thank you for good. being so patient, Brit, and listening to Steimer and I rant. About, and I know that Alexa no. wanted to be part of this conversation, and, and it's unfortunate that she is, you know, ill this week and she couldn't. But um, maybe we can, you know, have another discussion about it. Predictions um, for next season. Well, the next season's not coming until 2019. Wait, Wait really? Did they confirm that? They said 2018. I think it's 18 months is the technical. No, mm-hmm. they didn't confirm. They did not mm-hmm. confirm a time frame at all. Is that normal for that long? We no, no, it's not. But here's the problem is that the the production of each of these final episodes, so there's only going to be six episodes in the final season of Game of Thrones. And the showrunners have said that each episode is going to be probably 70 to 90 minutes in length, potentially even longer. So we're talking about like feature film length productions for six episodes they're essentially making six movies Movies. so is next season the last season 
Yes, it's the final yes. season of Game of Thrones. Okay. So that's why it's going to take a really long time because they're like, yo, making one movie usually takes like two to four years. Making oh. six movies, that's a long time. Oh, I feel bad for you yeah. guys. Like that must be really rough. Well, the rougher part is that there are speculation from, you know, movie people out there, critics and people who like have been covering the movie business that they're going to kind of do what Harry Potter did and potentially split episodes and then do theatrical releases. So the idea that I heard floated when I was on Fanboys earlier this week, I had the opportunity to uh, meet up with Jeff and Marcus over on Fanboys, which is twitch.tv slash twitch is where it airs. Um, And they said that uh, Jeff floated his theory that the first four episodes will air on HBO as normal. And then the last two, I think he said, will air be a theatrical release. Ooh. Hmm. Like you actually have to go to a movie theater to watch That's going to be such a clusterfuck. I would only do that for one. Like, yeah. I would be like, you know, the if finale, it was the last episode, the sure. One, the final yeah, episode. but two is too much. There's too many times of me going to the theater. Oh, you would go. But man, those ticket sales. <laughs> but that'd be such a cluster. I can only imagine the theaters would be sold out. Ugh, whatever. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised as Game of Thrones is a pretty big deal. You, yeah. They can probably do whatever they want. They will make millions and millions. Hey, who am I? Who am I kidding? I would be there at midnight the day it opens. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. I would love to see Game of Thrones on a big screen. Yeah, would one hundred percent love that. Hmm. So hmm. this has been very insightful. Take, yeah. It's entertaining. Maybe I know enough now to watch the next season. Sort of. Give us a Rip. recap of what you know now. I would love to start a watch. Or, or, or like a, a, a viewing with you wherever you're at if you want to start from the beginning if you want to start from where you left off I'm happy to go back and watch more because this this series is one of the best tel- television series of all time hands down without question I don't care if you read the books or didn't read the books like the production of this series is just so phenomenal and as the a fantasy fan this I couldn't be more pleased because it's so easy to get fantasy literature wrong when you mm. you know convert it to a different medium whether it be a television miniseries or a movie or a video game it's so easy to to to, to muck it up and they really did an excellent excellent job so hats off to hbo and all of the work and the production they did they deserve every emmy they've ever won there and i go. also andrea like the close this season like, they've been off the charts amazing, in my opinion. Yes. Like, new levels of amazing. There was some yeah. slow periods in the middle there. Yeah. But they brought yeah. it back around. Just keep bringing those dragons into every scene you possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how expensive it is. Do it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging with us here at the What's Good Games podcast. Um, please go to whatsgoodgains.com if you are listening to this and you are at PAX actively. Maybe you're listening to it while you're waiting in the queue hall to get into the show floor. Or maybe you're not and you want to learn about what's happening at PAX. You can find out what we're up to over there. Um, and um, I don't know. I think I think that's it. I think that's, I think we're done. Donezo. We're done-ski. Yeah, we're, we have PAX. Did you have anything else to add? No, I'm just excited to do PAX with you ladies. I know. I get to hug you both That'll tomorrow. Be, I know. I get to see you all tomorrow, which will be fun. We get to recap this next week. Which is technically yesterday for everybody listening. Oh, yeah. Sorry. True. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah. 
It'll be great. I'm very much looking forward to it. And I'm excited to talk about it on the podcast next week, too. And we can recap it. Yay, team. It's going to be great. Going to be great. everybody. Have a fantastic Labor Day weekend. We will see you next week. <laughs>